0: hello and welcome to another brand new day which brings you a brand new podcast hi i'm marco stack here with my co-host jordan Alseca, and we're both in a great mood because the most depressing holiday of the year for us is now over it ended for you a while ago but we're recording this uh, immediately the day after christmas jordan how are you doing on this fantastic boxing day
1: uh you know i'm doing pretty well it is uh insanely snowy here we we we're getting i think up to like three inches uh so i'm bundled up i'm excited to talk about one of my favorite characters of the 90s because that's that's really who the star is of the book we're about to discuss and uh you know i'm i'm feeling good i'm looking forward to the new year um and i'm excited to see what is uh beyond 2021
0: oh beyond you know, that that, that reminds me <laughs> we, of this comic we just read. Uh, I, I love the segue there, Jordan. <laughs> uh, yes, we mentioned in our first episode that we were starting this podcast rereading uh, the brand new day era uh, that saw Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, shifting to three times a month with a whole team of writers and artists because Marvel Comics seem poised to be re- I suppose, relaunching Amazing Spider-Man in a very similar way with an initiative they called Beyond. Uh, It would now become Amazing Spider-Man with this long multi-part Beyond storyline published three times a month from a creative team uh, with a group of writers, head writer Zeb Wells, one of the standout uh, creators of the brand new day period, leading the march along with a whole host of artistic talent and The mission was more or less the same as they had in Brand New Day. Spider-Man had gone through a rough patch. Now, the previous rough patch Spider-Man had gone through was a bunch of creative choices that no one could walk back without just resetting everything in a drastic fashion. The thing that they're trying to compensate for with Beyond Period is simply that no one really cared about what was going on in Amazing Spider-Man for a few years. Jordan, do you feel like I'm being unfair <laughs> in saying that?
1: It's always, you know, I always find one thing that is is interesting is, you know, we're talking about mainly storylines from 14 years ago. We maybe are less inclined to pull our punches since we wanted to write comics for a living. Uh, but, but what I'll say judiciously about the Nick Spencer run is it didn't, light the world on fire. I mean, I don't think anyone was ever talking about Spider-Man when you compare it to something like, say, Immortal Hulk or um, uh, uh swamp thing. You know, you get these runs that that capture the zeitgeist, uh, or at least in comics. But I, I don't think most people could tell you a thing about the Spencer run. And, like, so it wasn't exciting on the face of it, and then it wasn't a case of the writing is going to sell you on it. It just existed for what three years, two and a half years.
0: Yeah, you you mentioned uh, the the water cooler, uh, which we don't really talk at a water water cooler during a pandemic. We talk at like the Twitter.com uh, uh, cooler instead. But the water cooler Twitter cooler uh, conversation points are like you said, books like Swamp Thing and the Incredible Hulk, and unfortunately, Amazing Spider Man did not have a big green monster. Uh, in order to really light the people on fire with conversation. And the only conversation I could see about this book for three years were that it was occasionally hinting that it might undo uh, One More Day, which we don't need to explain for all of you because you're already familiar with it if you're listening to this podcast. I, I do not believe you made it this far without knowing what One More Day is. But it started to seem like Nick Spencer was going to retcon One More Day... And bring back the Spider-Marriage. That didn't happen. Uh, and conversation about the run more or less died again when uh, when that was made clear. Uh, but, you know, not for nothing. The comic is still, at that point, uh, like one of the top-selling titles every month. It, you can always trust that Amazing Spider-Man and Batman are going to be like the top comics every month. Primarily because anyone can just walk into a comic shop and say, please give me Batman or please give me Spider-Man. And there is one comic that you hand them in response to that.
1: Sure. And Spider-Man is, he is the character you follow because you like Spider-Man, not because you necessarily care who's writing it. Um, and that's what to say. We don't, I think we care a lot about who's writing and illustrating the book, but for, for general comic audiences, he's one of those characters like Batman or Superman where it's like, I just care about the character. Um, but coming out of it, it, it didn't undo one more day, but it, it is certainly a different status quo than when I was regularly reading the book. And that is something we'll talk about with Beyond of, of establishing what's happening. Uh, Mary Jane is back in Peter's life, if nothing else. They, they're they not married again, but they are dating. <laughs> Even that, I I, I I sit unsure of where things are at in Beyond. And again, we're going to get into it. But um, yeah, the Spencer run, say what you will about Slot. As a writer, or as a as a worker, or how you feel about the stories, like people know what Superior Spider Man is. It was a flashpoint. So it was Spider Island. You know, it. Spencer never had that moment that Slot was able to do multiple times over his run.
0: Yeah, it it's it's unfortunate, you know, to uh, to have those best selling titles become that kind of uh, ghost ship for a period of time. You know, that Flying Dutchman where it starts to appear that people are now waiting for the writer to change, like the creative team to change. And it started to look like people were ready for that pretty early in that run, which, you know, whatever you have to say about uh, the creative team on it is probably a pretty tough position to have to be creating a book from, knowing that, you know, a vocal uh, portion of your audience is, you know, loudly waiting for the next thing. Uh, And the eventual announcement of Beyond came... Not that long after Spencer announced he was jumping ship from uh, Marvel to exclusively work at Substack, which is its own other (laughs) layer and web of uh, controversies as their uh, comics liaison. And his run would seem to come to like an abbreviated ending at that point with Amazing Spider-Man 74 with the legacy numbering of Amazing Spider-Man 875 Jordan, I don't think you read that issue in preparation for this, but I did. I, I did. I read it because I knew it had a backup story that was teasing the Beyond developments. Uh, it wasn't really much, uh, it, as it turned out. It was mostly explaining who Janine was, the uh, the love interest for Ben Riley, our main character of this run.
1: But So that's where that is. There is character. There is some explanation. Because the the main Beyond Dark does not do a lot of that. Oh, we're going to get
0: into that. We're going to get into that. But the thing about this final issue of Spencer's run is it's drawn by like eight different artists, as these giant sized issues tend to be. But the standout thing is that the first page of it, the first thing you see is uh, the Sal Buscema and J.M. DeMatteis page from, I-, I believe it's Spectacular Spider-Man 200, the death of Harry Osborn, one of the really most iconic and tragic moments in spider-man history and it immediately filled me with like this big layer of emotion i felt so strongly uh, having my memories uh you know basically poached at that point and then you turn the page and it's a lot of mephisto stuff at that point <laughs> and it's like 80 pages of mephisto uh you find out things like and hey there's gonna be some light spoilers here that Harry Osborne, uh, his father Norman sold his soul to uh, Mephisto when he was a baby in order to gain business power, which retcons the fact that Norman was actually a bad businessman and only succeeded due to devil powers, <laughs> which I'm not sure how that really helps that character. But the thing they end up doing by the end of this issue is instead of uh, undoing One More Day, they undo Sin's Past, the the uh, J, uh, J. Michael Straczynski comic. That reveals Norman Osborn impregnated Gwen Stacy. It turns out those children were not real, and Harry brainwashed everyone into thinking it just to hurt Peter Parker's feelings. Uh, Jordan, how do you feel about that?
1: I right. <laughs> So Harry Osborn... I mean, it's comics. I shouldn't question too hard, but all I can think is Harry Osborn, who was dead at the time since Past came out.
0: It was a long-term plan. Do you remember how in the Clone Saga... It turned out that Harry had also created robots of Peter's parents to hurt his feelings, uh, and I do mean just hurt his God, feelings. I do remember <laughs> <laughs> after he had died, and he like tells him on a TV screen they do the exact same thing in this comic.
1: Really play the long so you can't, game, can't say
0: it's the, out of uh, character.
1: <laughs> no, you can't. Um, I don't. I don't. Okay. You know, I, I flipped through the issues a little. I, I've looked at the trade. Um, it is a run that at some point I do intend to kind of deep dive on. You know what? It's the sort of run that if conventions were a thing that were happening, I'd be scooping up those trades at $5 bins. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, it it is... Uh, I was looking for the fresh start. And, and even if... That all sounds ridiculous. Um, all I remember also is, do do Dr. Strange and Mephisto play poker? What are they doing? Some kind of, like, weird casino scene?
0: Mephisto and Dr. Strange, all through this last arc, it appears that they are playing a type of game for the soul of Peter Parker. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, uh... Oh, what's the uh, Ingmar Bergman movie with uh, that, that Swedish actor, uh, which is not very specific oh, because seal? it's an Ingmar Bergman movie. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry, The Seventh Seal. It's it's like playing uh, a game with death, and they're playing over Peter's soul. And it's like, oh, no, will Peter, uh, after 60 years of Spider-Man, finally go too far? And the answer is no, he, he doesn't. <laughs> and there, there's a bunch of other little things, like Norman Osborn having his... uh soul return to him in some way which causes him to be good now and feel regret for all the sins he's committed it's i don't think people are gonna go back to that 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 plot point uh too much but it really just leaves peter in a state of tragedy mourning uh the death of harry osborne again because god this is so hard to explain harry osborne is in hell his soul is in hell but there's a second harry osborne made by mephisto like a clone uh, who is Harry Lyman, the Harry we've been reading in Brand New Day. They, they explain that the reason there's a new Harry in Brand New Day, that he's returned to life, is because Mephisto put one there, ultimately to eventually hurt Peter Parker. And that Harry, Harry Lyman, who changes his name to his mother's maiden name during the slot run, he dies trying to help Peter. And it leaves Peter at the end of this uh, 75-issue run, uh, or seventy-four issue run, uh, mourning the death of another lost friend and unsure about what he's going to do with his life, which is where we pick up in uh, the first issue of Beyond Proper, Amazing Spider-Man number seventy-five, by Zeb Wells, and fan favorite, and the fan is me in this case, uh, Patrick Leeson. <laughs>
1: uh, um,
0: <laughs> uh, let's not yeah. get, let's not get too spoilery on these issues. Let's just talk about like our general impressions, I guess.
1: That is fine by me. I, I will note these are. I read these digitally, so it was a little harder taking notes and reading it in general because uh, Marvel no longer has their own web app, <laughs> so you have to go. To, you have to link to Comixology, so that's a whole other thing. Um, but they still have their phone app. I guess the other big thing that I think is worth mentioning, and it sounds like they set it up a little bit in that issue uh, seventy five or eight seventy five. Um. I hope you know who Ben Riley is already coming into beyond because <laughs> um if there's a if there's a big flaw to this arc is that it's very and I say arc we we read six issues or or well I read six issues I should say I read um issues what is it 75 through 81 or through 80 I can't do math right now uh but it basically breaks down into <laughs> three two issue arcs but also not really, because everything sort of flows one into the next. Um, but if you don't know, I mean, the last time I saw Ben Riley was in the Clone Conspiracy, where he was a full-on villain. And then I guess he had a he had a run that went for five or six trades. But it feels like this book is asking. I hope you read that book that we canceled like two years ago, if you want to know where Ben Riley is at at all. But did. So, but did eight seventy five do a good job of setting up where Ben Riley is at?
0: Absolutely not. That 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 story is not about Ben Riley. It's about his ex girlfriend, or I guess his erstwhile girlfriend, who is in prison, Janine, who I think might be related to the thieves guild in some way. So there's like probably a gambit connection there. I'm super not clear. It's about him getting his girlfriend out of prison because he is now working for the Beyond Corporation. And if you're asking who are the Beyond Corporation, congratulations, uh, 75 will tell you that. <laughs> They're not going to tell you earlier than that. Yeah. It's it's a status quo that they actually set up uh, during free comic book day in the Spider-Man and Venom offering. Uh, and that story is also by Wells and Gleason. And it sees Ben Riley uh, trying on his new Beyond created suit which has things like foam padding, uh, extra tech, and basically he's like a high-tech emergency responder Spider-Man who is going on a test run for this Beyond Corporation in order to become their own Spider-Man, their corporate Spider-Man, which they didn't really explain in that story, so I was very unclear what that was going to look like until I read 75. But before we even get to that, Jordan, can you please tell me who Ben Riley is? (laughs)
1: ben riley uh is the clone of peter parker um unless it's an odd numbered week in the 90s in which case he is the real peter parker for a minute and then oh no he's not back and forth uh you'd have to ask trainer seward about that but uh he is a character who gained a lot of fan favorites because he was supposed to replace peter parker kind of like with one more day there was the sense peter parker had aged too much he was married Um, They wanted to kind of refresh the character by bringing back this character from the Clone Saga in the 70s who had been on the road for five years. And they kind of clashed because the Jackal, uh, who's a character who somehow never did show up in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, I feel like that was an inevitability. If any series was going to do the Clone Saga, it was probably the Amazing movies. Um, But we get... (laughs) A character who is supposed to be Peter Parker if he hadn't gone through all of the things the real Peter Parker had gone through in terms of his love life, but it was maybe a little harder edged. He takes over as Spider-Man for a while when Peter Parker retires, loses his powers, Um, but then it turns out he is the clone. There's a mutant clone named Kane, and then there's a murderous clone named Spider-Side. You don't need to know any of that. The Clone Song is a whole mess that revealed Norman Osborn was behind it all. Of course, now we know Mephisto was behind everything Norman Osborn was behind. Um, And he was a fan favorite. He was the Scarlet Spider. If you've ever seen Spider-Man with a hoodie, that's that's that costume. Um, And then he was gone for the better part of 20 years. Um, Kane came back, and then with the clone conspiracy, Ben Riley came back in a big way. He was a villain. Um, it was a weird development for people who were big fans of Ben Riley. <laughs> uh, but then he got his own series again. You know, he clashed with Kane Scarlet Spider, a series that I think we've said before, but you should just read, go back and find that one where he's where Kane is Scarlet Spider in Houston. It's a great run. Um And yeah, that's kind of where he's at. He's he's always been the other Spider Man. And like all things in comics life is cyclical and now he's spider-man again but he's corporate backed i guess
0: you know jordan at no point in that insane rambling about this character's history (laughs) did i ever feel like i learned anything about this character's personality which congratulations puts us in the same spot as everyone who read those comics (laughs) Uh, that is an unenviable task to try and explain the clone bullshit in spider-man it's i guess my my controversial take on on ben riley might be are there really ben riley fans or they're just fans of his costume (laughs) like i i have to agree that that hoodie spidey suit is fresh as hell his actual spidey suit with the giant uh spider emblem and the uh the visible wrist web shooters is slick i've got an amazing MAFEX action figure of that one and i pose it constantly i think that suit is fresh but on a fundamental level i i don't know what the appeal of the ben riley character is and they have yet to kind of make the case for him in this comic because he's peter parker up until an early point in the 70s when he becomes a clone and goes off and lives his own life uh, far away from new york city so he has all of peter's memories uh up to a certain point in the 70s, he does not experience the death of Gwen Stacy. Uh, he does not experience a lot of the great tragedies uh, that Peter experiences. Uh, and I guess that's supposed to come through that it, it makes his character a little bit different. Uh, but I'm not sure how he's that different from Peter. They're very similar characters, which is either a, a strong point because they're clones and that means it's good writing... Or it's a negative point because it means they're not different enough based on their life experiences. And I don't know what it is, Jordan.
1: I think it's a it's something kind of inherent to the character because the idea and again, how canon is anything in comics, especially the 90s. But, you know, he's supposed to be a character whose central angst is that he had to give up and lose all of his family and friends because there was the real Peter Parker. And even though he has those memories, it's they're not his, so he has to go off on his own and live his life. And in the Clone Saga, you get a lot of those five years on the road stories of, of him as a loner trying to be a hero, but but having to deal with that angst. But then the the exact opposite of that is that he's supposed to be Peter Parker unburdened. So he comes back and, you know, a lot of his run is trying to build his own life and establish his cast of characters and be like, this is Peter Parker Light and free again, and that's a central. Uh, it it doesn't mesh well, and it really comes down to who's writing Ben Riley at any given point, which elements are going to get pulled forward. Kane, yeah. while ridiculous in his '90s appearance, is a character who is fully driven by that angst and that existential dread, and that you never never question that when you see him in any of his books. It is a very strong part of his character. But Ben Riley goes back and forth. His big. Sometimes he is just Peter Parker. Sometimes he can be a full-on angsty villain because he wants to create his own uh lost memories again. But the biggest difference is that he is blonde. <laughs> that is the thing you have to <laughs> remember. He's
0: blonde and he has an Irish last name. <laughs> uh yeah. I I I I think, I think I've read a few uh Ben Riley's Spider-Man comics, and I think the issue with them and I think this is like a conceptual issue, I don't think a, a single writer can fix this, it's inherent to the character, uh, is that they want him to be as close to Peter Parker as possible, uh, to have that same personality, to be that kind of everyman, but you cannot be an everyman when you're a clone. <laughs> that I'm sorry, everyman status can maybe be maintained after you've been bitten by a spider that gives you magnificent powers, but once you go past that level up to and also you're a clone of that guy i like have that point of disconnect and i i really do think the more successful iteration of this ben riley concept is like you said the uh, the Kane character in the scarlet spider run uh drawn by ryan stegman and written by uh, i think chris Yost, because that character leans into the fact that he's got some emotional angst he's got something to prove you know, that character has a raging chip on his shoulder, and the ways he reacts to it, trying to either live up to it or toss, toss it off or act like it isn't there bothering him, make him a compelling character. Uh, ben has some of that in this run. Uh, it really comes through in 75 and 76 by Wells and Gleason, but, but then it kind of goes to the background. His character and his struggles take a little bit of a backseat. As we switch to the next uh, two issue arc, and you know, calling it an arc is maybe a weird thing because they're not billing these as arcs. They are billing every issue as a chapter in the Beyond story. Uh, At the time of recording this, we are about six issues deep into this. It's uh, almost January, and they have announced that Beyond is ending in March. They have a clear end point in mind. It was only meant to last for a few months. And it will lead us into the next status quo when they probably put amazing back at monthly or maybe bi-monthly, you know, twice a week, twice uh, a month. And I'm I'm a little at a loss for how much I'm meant to be uh, investing in Ben as a character because they're not explaining a lot about his history. It's very much just like he's a clone of Peter Parker who feels weird about having the memories and doesn't know how he's supposed to act based on that. But also he's surprisingly chill because the beyond corporation got him some great therapy and he's very well adjusted about it all. Now he's got a girlfriend. They don't do really anything to introduce, although they keep alluding to a backstory and he's working for a company that has some nefarious, uh, I don't even know what to call them. Nefarious glances that they give like twice an issue. (laughs) Uh, Jordan, as it, far as you can tell, what is meant to be this meta narrative of the uh, of the Beyond Run?
1: I corporations are evil, which I would hope we know at this point. I don't know. It's what's interesting about it. I think we're you know we, we'd already scheduled this episode, and I think it is a good time. Like six issues is a good time to check in on on a story. Um, I almost wish we we had a few more weeks just because I would like to know what Spider-Man looks like in April, because right now it's still speculation. It's like from the, from the issues we've read, uh, you know, Peter, Peter's Peter's out of, out of commission for reasons and, and whether or not they're probably going to be building back up to him returning. I mean, if he could come back from having his mind persona erased within 33 issues, you know, we're getting a run that's going to total out at about if you include the Beyond issues, twenty-three, twenty-four issues, which is a is a sizable amount of space. But it, it's 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 interesting because all of the characters we meet that work for Beyond outside of Ben Riley have a nefarious vibe to them on some level. Um They're either very concerned with their research or profit or you know, they're willing to maybe let someone become a spider vampire just to see what'll happen. Um, so at no point does it feel like we're supposed to be like, no, maybe Beyond is on the up and up. Um, which makes it hard to connect to them as characters. And we don't really get much of Bin's relationship with anybody except his own angst. And so I don't know what we're supposed to be taking from it at this point. Yeah, if if I
0: sound a little negative on these comics, uh, it's mostly because I'm not sure what it's leading to. And it's a little confounding in that way, because like you said, they are immediately letting you know uh, through all these visual and uh, in written cues that the Beyond Corporation is up to something. You're inclined to naturally be opposed to them when they say uh, that Ben should only respond to certain types of crimes or he needs to be more optimal. You know, th- those are things you're obviously as an audience member going to, like, prick your ears up at. And credit to this comic and the way they're writing it, uh, they're not trying to hide that from you. They're not trying to make that a surprise. Which I, I do I do have to give credit to, because it would probably be pretty annoying if they tried to act like it was a shock that this corporation's up to some evil stuff. But I, I-, I would be remiss if I didn't say that every issue of this I've read, I've enjoyed immensely from cover to cover. Uh, I... I have some quibbles about the type of storytelling they're doing, the the concept behind it, but I I cannot deny that I enjoy the execution of it. I just... uh, This is something I think we talked about a little bit previously. The the comics-as-TV approach that it takes ends up making each issue feel like, you know, about half of an episode of TV, and you get your finale or your conclusion in the next issue. And in some cases, they pay off the threads from that two issues... In a dot beyond issue, which is deeply confusing uh, to me as someone who had to survive the dot now and the the point one <laughs> era, uh, they pay off a pretty major thread about like Peter Parker being out of commission in one of those dot beyond issues, and it was it was kind of shocking to me that they that they buried that there, and I, I don't mean buried in the sense the comic was bad, but it is a five dollar oh. issue. Uh, outside of the main title i would think an audience member would be under the impression they're allowed to skip that but it is a necessary part of the story that is five dollars and not in the main title it 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 makes me a little reticent to recommend reading it in single issues when i'm sure they'll collect this all in trades that order things and make it very readable based on
1: that 20, Twenty-four roughly issues feels like yeah we're gonna we're gonna do probably either either an a small omnibus or two hardcovers and that's gonna be like the ideal way to read it. It feels like prestige TV where it's like we we are writing this as one thing. We're not necessarily considering. I mean, actually, I take that back. They are considering the episodic nature because we're getting these two issue um, battles with Morbius and Craven and the UFOs. Um, but. <laughs> yeah it is it is curious because it feels like they're trying to write one big narrative but then you get things where the story kind of spins off and I'm like how does this get collected is this going to throw the flow off because it kind of by nature will have to if we're going to have point beyond stuff show up in the main arcs later um like we get we get the, the reveal that aunt may's going to doc ock and then that spins off and it's like no we got to read the point beyond issue to find out what happens next yeah time. it And that point beyond
0: issue is, is longer than a normal issue, which I mentioned because like you said, it will throw off the pacing of reading it in a collection because if, when you notice that issues are not the same length in a collection, I naturally, and I I don't want to speak for other people, but I naturally kind of go, Hey, when is this wrapping up? I kind of wanted to finish a chapter and go do something real quick. Uh, I I do have a real tendency to read a uh, trade a chapter at a time if it's not a uh, a uh, presented as a like an original graphic novel. Uh, So I am thinking from the perspective of the reader about how that might make it a little shaggy in that space. But again, none of that is uh, something you can put at the foot of the creators. This is the space they're being given to work with. And I think Zeb Wells, if we can credit him for this, I don't know if we credit it to him or to uh, the editor on these titles. So I'm remiss to give all the credit to uh, to Zeb Wells on this, but he is the uh, the head writer. They list him as the head of the uh, writer's room, but him and uh, Nick Lowe, uh, the editor, are doing a great job making the vo- sure the voices are consistent uh, as they're switching between writers. I mean, between the Dot Beyond issues and the Death of Doctor Strange tie-in that I also picked up, because like a maniac, I decided to get every single thing that touches the Beyond narrative... Uh, we have first two issues by written by Wells with art by Gleason. The next two issues written by Kelly Thompson and drawn by Sarah Pacelli. Then after that, we get a Dot Beyond issue by Jed Mackey and drawn by uh, Carlini. Then we get uh, someone who's new to me, but who I think I'm going to follow based on this. Uh, We get two issues uh, written by Cody Ziglar, who, uh, I I really liked their work on this. I, I'm hundred percent going to follow them with art by Dowling. We get a Dot Beyond issue, also by Ziegler. We get a of Death of Doctor Strange tie-in by Mackie. Uh, and then we get 81 and 82, written by Saladin Ahmed, uh, with art by Gomez. And the second issue by Ahmed is drawn by Jorge Fornes, which uh, totally threw me off <laughs> when I read that. Uh, but these writers are doing a remarkable job being consistent with uh, their approach to the characters, and some of that's helped by the fact that a lot of these are writers who have been at Marvel for a while, with uh, you know Saladin Ahmed and Kelly Thompson. Ahmed, in particular, uh, working on the Miles Morales title. Uh, yeah, do you think it's a, a a strength or a weakness, maybe, in terms of the fact that they are so consistent in their voices?
1: I I think it's. I would say if your if your goal is to write an overarching narrative and they want it to be of like the the television writers room model. I think it is a strength. Um because one thing I'll say I agree is in structure what this reminds me of a little more and it's not it's not this obviously because 52 from DC yep had four writers and a bunch of different artists but if you if you just sit and read it even if you know, you know, Grant Morrison wrote the um booster parts and uh, Greg Rucka wrote the um uh, question parts. It it all flows really well together, and you have a consistency of art style because you had um, I want to say Giffen doing the breakdowns. It's been a minute. Yeah, I believe that um, was Giffen. You you get this this single narrative, and obviously Fifty Two has been um, unrepeatable for anyone who's tried that weekly model. Uh, <laughs> it was a real like lightning in a bottle, um, but. I think that's more what this is trying to go for than, say, Brand New Day itself. Because the other point I want to make is you mentioned that, you know, Every Two Issues has had different artists. And while their styles are certainly unique, I'm not going to say that they're they're not in any way, like, the same. It feels like thought was put into being like, let's get artists whose styles complement each other so that it's not a huge swing in visual style um, arc to arc. Like, if you look at Brand New Day and you compare... You know, the the Bochalo arc to something drawn by um, Jimenez. Like, they look very different. You can tell. This is a different creative team doing a very different story. It feels like that is... However you feel about it. And I think it is a strength in terms of, like... Because they're building around it. We are creating a single, solid narrative that's going to last through roughly 20-some issues. Um, and I think, as an experiment, it is an interesting one. It's just, again, we're really early it's hard to tell where things are going and it's hard to tell how successful they'll be on the whole.
0: Yeah. I, I think you're spot on about how well chosen the uh, the art teams are on here. Because if I compared Patrick Leeson to like, I don't know, Jorge Fornes on the latest issue, they don't really have styles that resemble each other at all, but they do a good job bridging over there. Like the artists they choose on each way. Each next artist has something in common with the previous one, and it manages to carry you. Even if you end at a ultimately huge stylistic shift from Gleason to Fornes, it feels natural because they really did choose creators who slowly got you over to that side. It's pretty remarkable stuff. And I have to credit Fornes, too, uh, for really showing some flexibility in his style that I wasn't aware of because I've mostly thought of him as a uh, like a noir guy. And, you know, in the vein of a uh, like Mazzucchelli uh, doing year one type thing. Uh, But he shows a lot more horror chops and uh, a lot more flexible facial cartooning than I thought. Uh, It it really is clear to me that everyone here is putting their best work forward. And maybe maybe the way to read this will be for people later when they have it all in collections to give it that book treatment uh, or that like season binge treatment that I think they're creating it in mind for.
1: There, Yeah, and, and it, there's just a consideration. Like, when you look at some of the failures in the wake of 52, like uh, Countdown to Final Crisis, you know, one of the big issues there is you didn't have artists communicating, you didn't have a consistent visual language where, you know, um, handcuffs and planes would change designs completely between, like, pages that would be right next to each other in a trade. But here you have visual... Symbols that are repeating across artists and writers in such a way that you get the sense they're really no. Here is what we need. Here is maybe they're showing these pages to be like because you have images right at the very first issue, and then during the Craven arc, there's this image of of Peter Bin with like their face caving in on itself, and so you get these consistent (laughs) imagery that it feels like everyone's talking to each other, and they're really putting that work in, and it it comes through on the page in this thing that, like you said, it reads very easily. Like, I shot through these issues, and while I might have some complaints about how breezy they are compared to the progression of this arc that is apparently wrapping up in a couple months, you know, watching him fight Morbius, watching him have to go on Craven's weird drug-fueled guilt trip about working with a corporation, like, they're fun moment-to-moment things.
0: Yeah, I, again, like, like I said earlier, I really do have to emphasize that I have no problem with how they're making the comic. I think they're doing an amazing job, like, on a page-to-page level. I'm just curious about this more conscious attempt at a TV structure. Uh, and there, there's always going to be growing pains when you try things like that. Because when you look at a book like, like you mentioned, uh, a failure like Countdown or a uh, miraculous success like 52, those are not—they're they're not, they're not TV They are still very consciously like doing story arcs. They're shifting. There's different movements. Uh, It is still very much in the space of of a comic and a comic style storytelling. I feel like maybe the closest of those weekly series in terms of how they approach the serialization might be something like Batman Eternal, uh, which which I was a huge fan of. Actually, Uh, I don't know if I've ever mentioned that. Uh, I I read Batman Eternal religiously and I, I loved the hell out of it. And this is definitely giving me some of those vibes, but a little slower, a little more paced out. And I don't know, I feel like this is one of those times where I'm really feeling the fact that comics, uh, superhero comics in particular, have gotten shorter over the years. Uh, Because when you and I started reading, your average superhero comic was uh, 22 or 24 pages, right? Mm
1: hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. These issues are they're 20 pages and. They got to devote their space to splash pages. They got to do their recap stuff. Uh, they got to get the fight in. It's less space to do all that shit you have to do. And, you know, eventually, yeah, it's going to make it feel like there's less story going on. And that's not because of, like, questions about decompression or anything like that. It's just a literal loss of space that, it. I don't know, they're trying to compensate for with these uh, dot beyond issues, I suppose.
1: No, I mean, it definitely it I think as an outsider, it it doesn't sound like a lot to lose t- four or even just two pages. But as someone who has this year worked on a project that was 20, 20, page superhero stories, you feel it when you're actually doing it. It does make a difference.
0: Yeah, it it's really hard. I mean, I, I myself like was working on a superhero comic this year. And we initially wrote every issue to be 20 pages with that in mind. And then we were just like, but it would be so much cooler if we expanded these beats out and got more space for all the fun stuff. And we did that because it was, you know, it's purely creator-owned and creator-released. But you can't decide to do that here. You have to sacrifice things. And a lot of shorthand has to get deployed at that point. And you can really feel uh, the different conditions that exist present day uh when we are comparing it directly to brand new day which we're reading so recently it they're entirely different comic industries almost
1: mm-hmm. um and i guess my last thing is it's it's just i'm curious um you know as an experiment i i hope it is a successful one and i would say so far it is Kind of too early to tell. It's a little hard to just just fully get into it because I feel like characterization is a bit weak. I want to know. I hope we get some arcs that maybe slow down, give us a bit more time with Ben and Janine as characters. Um, but I, I like the idea of them doing this. To me, it is surprising that outside of, I think there was an X-Men series called Wolverines that was like weekly and tried to do this or that it was something spinning out of Death of Wolverine. But since Brand New Day, they haven't really experimented with this format, and I think there is value in that, in, in creating this sort of ecosystem of storytelling that can maybe, not necessarily that it has to be three times a month and you do as much as possible, but but letting it be a bit more of a creative writer's room, um, letting writers experiment and get their stories out, because sometimes you don't have your own, like, 60-issue idea for Spider-Man. Maybe you just have an arc, and maybe you can get in there and do it, and... Just have it be part of a larger story. I don't know. It's just interesting from an experimental standpoint. And, you know, I guess we'll know in a couple of weeks, probably by the next time we record, maybe we'll have a better idea of what post-Beyond is going to look like. But for now, I'm enjoying the ride.
0: Yeah, I, I do see currently uh, some of the effects of this uh, double shipping that's occurring uh, over in, the, in other parts of the comics industry because uh batman and a lot of dc titles for the last uh five or so years since the rebirth initiative switched to uh double shipping two issues a month and it clearly uh was a huge strain on editorial huge strain on writers and artists uh it did lead to some reader issues with uh uh you know, com- complaints about, uh, decompression stories, not moving as quickly as they would like feeling like something is just a piece of a larger hole instead of complete on its own. And I mean, to their credit, it seems like DC is responding to that by moving a lot of those comics back to monthly titles, uh, Batman, which was still double shipping under, uh, James Tynan. Yeah. James Tynan, the fourth, uh, yeah. that's moving back to monthly under, uh, Joshua Williamson, uh, they are also, though, at the same time, bringing uh, Detective Comics to a weekly event for three months, which, hey, that'll be fun, probably. It's being sh- uh, showrun by Mariko Tamaki, and she's great. Uh, so yeah. we are, st- are going to see stuff like this still. But I- I- it is interesting to know that they're doing it for short bursts. Uh, and it maybe it's because they're more aware of the fact that it will burn out creators if they have to keep up the bi-weekly like, 24 issues on one title a year. Uh, performance uh, it does lead to inconsistency with art which really throws a lot of readers off and with something like beyond it seems like they have a very limited time frame in mind of like you know four or five months and with that they're able to say we can find the right artists for this for that limited time frame make sure it all works make sure our team is working properly in good conditions hopefully uh, under a head writer to smooth things out and you get a more unified project than you get when you're double shipping or triple shipping another title, uh, which causes just enormous uh, labor strain.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is certainly not something that could be the standard by any any stretch. Like, it, it is it is a marquee character that they're really experimenting with. And, you know, I think maybe on the flip side, there's an element where it's like, this is... If, if these... 20-some issues were coming out monthly. You'd be looking at two years of this status quo. And that might rub people the wrong way. Because they want to see the character that... You know, if you pick up a Spider-Man book, um, you want to see Peter Parker to a certain extent. And and we could do a whole episode on, on the impossibility of Peter Parker growing up and changing. <laughs> that's one of my key problems with the character, even though for a lot of people that's a feature, not a bug. But... Yeah, it, it gets, lets them do something for six months, um, that can be a part of the story and not take over for as long as something like Superior. And even Superior was double shipping. So,
0: yeah, Superior had a uh, ungodly speed that it folded out uh, at, and maybe some of that was partly due to them trying to burn through it a little quicker to get over the blowback that that they uh, unfairly received on that. Uh. There is a part of me that also looks at Beyond going, I'm liking this story. I can't wait to see where it goes. But in my heart of hearts, I know that the decision to do it this way might have been influenced by the idea that they had a new status quo in mind. And this was a means to an end almost in terms of getting to issue 1000 for Amazing Spider-Man so that they can have a big, maybe, uh, you know, just tremendous seller, new status quo, creative team that everyone's excited about. I just hope that if, or, you know, when, honestly, that happens, uh, that this book doesn't get overlooked. Uh, because if they manage to stick the landing on what they're setting up, we're still trying to figure out what they're setting up. This will probably be one that we're going to want to actually look
1: at again and, like, pull off the shelf. Yeah. um, I'm excited, like, even if I have issues with it, I'm excited to be excited about Spider-Man again. And, honestly, just to have a, a group of writers that I don't, you know, find problematic or or actually want to read on a regular basis.
0: Yeah i i'm I'm excited because i I did not read uh, Ahmed's Miles Morales series. I checked out the first issue, and for whatever reason, it just didn't grab me. Uh, but reading his Miles in the uh, issues he appears in in this run, I'm thinking, oh, I totally want to check this out now. And reading Kelly Thompson on this side, I'm thinking, oh, I really enjoyed those issues of Hawkeye I read by her. I should check out more of what she's done. And now I know I really want to follow Ziggler and check out the work of some of these other artists as well. And it's doing exactly what I want to do, which is make me into a fan of someone.
1: Yeah, which I would say, and and just as a, as a side note, I mean, I think they're all writers that deserve it however much you've read and Like, Kelly Thompson has, has hit so many series, and I mean, it's not probably not great for me, getting to tell something log arc, but, you know, if you want to read Kelly Thompson, she has written a lot of Marvel characters at this point.
0: <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I'm kind of hoping that they make her the main writer when they hit a 1,000.
1: I mean, we'll see. We're... I want to say, see... well, who knows? It, depending on how they ship it, we could be only, like, five six more years from spider-man a thousand
0: you know i i think we're getting close they're gonna do something to get us there we're almost at 900 we we will have gone past 900 by the time this is done
1: and they're gonna get something going to make sure that happens it is um i mean you're not wrong like i i think about it a lot where it took them about 40 years to get 500 issues down and we've now hit another 400 issues in less than 20
0: years (laughs) (laughs) yeah it it, they we all we all know that the publishers cheat on this like you know they they did that with detective comics and uh action comics uh to get to a thousand over at dc marvel up Pulled numbers completely out of their ass for a Marvel Comics 1000. <laughs> uh, people want, want a sales event, and if they're going to make a good story uh, to match it, sure, I'll buy it.
1: Yeah, but um, any final thoughts on Beyond so far? Uh,
0: I will simply say that I am very excited to see the first issues written by Pat Gleason, which I think are coming out next month, uh, January, at the time of this recording. Uh, because he's an artist on here, but he's also one of the main writers. Uh, he's pulling that space of uh, advocating and thinking about the artistic vision of the series from within the writers group as well, which I think shows uh, through this book uh, that that they're very much, uh, you know, thinking about that. You know, we already talked about that. Uh, Jordan, do you have any final thoughts or were those already your final thoughts?
1: Um, I think the last thing I would note is just Um, Yeah, I'm excited to care about the character again, and in a, I guess if I had one final hope, it's that I think a big reason Spider-Man has been forgettable for the past few years is also the fact that, you know, in the past decades, Spider-Man has gone from being Peter Parker as a character to there is, you know, a spider stable, and you have all of these spider characters who can carry their own books, and you can get what you want, and I would argue should be where you get the things about young heroes learning how to how to be a hero and and balance their lives so i'm hoping coming out of this arc um i hope in and of itself that it is a good well-told well-thought-out story which again it feels like right now they they certainly put the thought in i hope it comes to a place where the new status quo sets peter parker up to be something exciting and new again something you know if i'm really swinging for the fences I want someone to come in with like a Hickman on X-Men level reinvention, rethought of the character that that brings him back to prominence. Um, But, you know, we'll see. We'll we'll know. Probably by the time this episode comes out, you'll know more than I do about what uh, (laughs) the world, that is to say, listeners, about where Spider-Man is headed. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, you, you... You heard it from Jordan. We're really hoping Jonathan Hickman takes over and retreads <laughs> Spider Island by giving Peter Parker his own island for spider people that outlaws crooked journalists. <laughs> Their main exports are selfies. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping for for the next status quo to be Peter Parker Instagram influencer. That's, that's my hope. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Until then, you can find Jordan on Twitter dot com as he likes to call it. Uh Jordan, what is your handle there on Twitter.com?
1: <laughs> on twitter.com you can find me at IndigoMaster Indigo E N D I G O M A S T E R. You can also find my books on gumroad.com slash Jordan And hopefully I'll be able to say more soon. I think I'm getting there. So so hopefully there'll be more places soon
0: yeah one day jordan and i will be able to announce the books we've been toiling on throughout the year of 2021 uh but until then uh, you can also find me on twitter.com at marco stack uh mark and stack are you know nouns and verbs i think you can spell those uh my comics are on weekendwarriorcomics.com that's my website for my little publishing outfit that i run uh you know check check some books out uh you know, Jordan's got some good stuff, too. I'd recommend Party of Your Afterlife, which I already have. Uh, that's got two stories in it. Uh, really good variety of tone there. I'm totally embarrassing Def- him right now by, by doing this. <laughs> but,
1: no, hey, but, but they're, good, gonna books. Say, they're good books. I'm going to say, definitely check out Mark's stuff because his collaborators, whether they're seeing each other's art or not, are constantly one-upping each other and trying to uh, be the best artist he's working with if you look at Young Offenders or Birthday Wishes. So definitely check out... The weekend warrior content
0: yeah i really feel like the prettiest girl at prom sometimes when i get all these pages back (laughs) all right so we'll see you all on another brand new day with a brand new podcast (laughs)